Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. For our next stop on this adventure, we are joined by the event director of the TCS London Marathon, Hugh Brasher. Hugh was appointed ED of London Marathon events in 2012, following on from his father, who was part of the team that set up the Great Marathon. Hugh worked on the very first London Marathon in 1981 and has worked on every single London Marathon since, except for one in 2005 when he was in Cape Town. In this episode of the podcast, Hugh talks through the incredible story of how the marathon actually came to be and shows off his relentless ambition to grow the event and the other events that surround it. And just before we jump into the episode, a massive thank you to the two sponsors of this podcast. Firstly, we want you to light up your exercise and be safe this winter with Light Up You, which is a range of products inspired by a man called David, who in 2001, whilst he was out running at night, he was hit by a passing car. And although he was wearing high visibility clothing, the car didn't see him and simply drove away after hitting him. And David did make a full recovery thanks to a passing motorist who witnessed the incident and the dedication of the emergency services. Once he was back running again, he decided to source, develop and market a range of illuminated wearable products. He wanted to provide a strong visual awareness for anyone exercising during the hours of darkness. Light Up You are offering a special 25% discount to help all outdoor enthusiasts be safe this winter. This discount is active for all products and can be activated at checkout using code LUU2522. And this is also coupled with a free LED armband with every order that's worth £10. So make sure to head to lightupyou.com and make the most of that discount code. And secondly, bringing style and warmth to your lifestyle with eGlove, where they're offering 10% off all products this Black Friday. eGlove create award-winning mobile phone-friendly gloves for runners, riders, bikers and skiers. Their range of eGlove performance and sport-specific smartphone gloves have been developed with the complete focus on the end user, whether your sport of choice is horse riding, running, hiking, or simply walking to work. Their technically superior touchscreen gloves allow for full movement, keep your hands warm and dry, enable you to grip reins or handlebar securely, and still mean you can call, text, or tweet whilst you're wearing them. Pick your style and take advantage of 10% off all eGlove products, including the brand new range of running gloves, by using the code OANDA10 at checkout uh, when you head to eGlove.co.uk, and that is OANDA10 with an ampersand. And with that, let's head straight into this episode of the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast, where today we are chatting to a very special guest. Uh, I'm joined by Hugh. Hugh, hello, how are you? Good morning, I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. thank you for joining me on the Outside and Active podcast. Uh, We're going to start with a little section which happens on every podcast, and it's where I offer you a piece of advice from someone who has been on the podcast before and has been a guest, and they're leaving a, a piece of advice to someone and they don't know who they're leaving it to. So it's often quite quite, uh, quite vague, but you can take it in any way that you can. And this piece of advice comes from one of the most talented young snowboarders in the country, uh, a girl called Mia Brooks, and she will be a future Winter Olympian and future probably medal winner as well if she carries on going the way that she is. And her advice was to keep calm and breathe during the tough times and enjoy every minute of what you're doing. So the question that leads on from that is, how are you during stressful periods? Ah, what is stress? 
So um, I have a philosophy that really means that you don't get stressed. So that philosophy is about uh, turning things into one opportunities to turning them into things that you can actually control. Um, so with nearly everything um, in, in, in life, um, I sort of almost ask, what is stress? I think that's something that we often bring on ourselves. What we have to do is try and look at the circumstances of what's causing stress and work out how we can control the circumstances that are going on. Um, and often that can be actually about being prepared. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's something like the seven P's, which uh, piss poor prepara- preparation leads to piss poor performance. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, you know, this is all about being active. It's, I think the Norwegians say there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad clothing. Uh, so, Throughout my life, I've been uh, put uh, put through. I don't know if that's the right word, but my <laughs> father used to take me on, whether it was uh, skiing expeditions in the mountains, um, whether it was uh, a sort of seven-year-old trudging up mountains in Wales to go camping overnight, um, uh, where, where we hadn't packed anything in plastic bags and the rucksacks weren't waterproof. So we get to the uh, the lake on the on the top of the hill, and every single piece of clothing, uh, the the, um, the tents, uh, the sleeping bags, were sodden sodden wet. And you can either get stressed about it, or you can just try and work out what you can deal with, because there's nothing you can change in those circumstances. And I think that's what you know. As I'm trying to teach my uh, my daughters, uh, you know, because it's 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 so difficult. There are so many things in in life at the moment that are that are changing, um, well, you can't, you know, so it's then about, well, okay, something's changing. What can I make certain around me that will give me the security that I need? And everyone is is so different. So I just think, look, I, I love the advice. I think, um, you know, keeping calm because you're then able to think when we are heightened with adrenaline or or which is a good thing by the way you know people talk about stress that's adrenaline you need it fight, fight or flight you want you will perform better with a certain amount of adrenaline so if you're actually going i feel nervous that's positive that's going to allow me to perform better um you know my mother was uh um a, a french tennis open champion we played tennis as kids and you know, we were taught that that, that actually nerves were good. If, if we weren't nervous, we probably weren't going to perform at our best. But what you didn't want to be was so nervous that you couldn't then perform. So how do you then think positively about what, what you could do? And I think positivity, again, this is a very long answer, but <laughs> no, I, I think it. positivity is, um, uh, is, is so important as, as human nature is to tend to think about all the things that could go wrong. Well, acknowledge the things that could go wrong, but start thinking of the things that are more positive. Start thinking of what you can do and where you want to be, because if you look to where you want to go, that is where you'll end up. And that is in sport, whether you're on a, whether you're skiing 
if you're skiing in between trees, um, if you look at the tree, you will hit the tree, and that is life-threatening and very dangerous. Um, if you look at the gap, which is where you actually want to go, you'll ski through the gap. If you're on a, um, you know, if you're on a racetrack, and I race motorbikes, but if you're on a racetrack, um, you don't look at the, uh, you don't look at the corner. You look through the corner. You look to where the tarmac is. You look to the future. You look to where you want to go. So I think, I think, you know, that 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 calmness is about how you give yourself inner calm. Do that through preparation, but also really try and look look positively to the future. So anyway, I love and do it with a smile on your face. I think is uh, is also so is is so important uh, in in life generally. I love that answer. I love that, and and it actually bits that you touched on about having what it sounds like a very active childhood leads me on to my next question. Very nice is what do you Hugh love about being outside and active? Ah, just go on. I mean, it's, it's uh, honestly everything. It's it's what life is 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 about. Whether um, you know, I was we temporarily moved moved house and living in in Surrey. I normally live sort of more in London, and lucky enough to live near some woods. And running in those woods is quite a special feeling. With and, and don't ask me why. I mean, I know the trees are alive. Um, whether it's the quality of the air. Yeah, there are tree roots around that you might trip over and that might be more dangerous, but it's just beautiful. So I've started taking up, I'm, I'm learning to surf. I've just come back from sort of four days in, in North Devons with my wife and kids. Um, and uh, we're learning to surf and just the tranquility you get of you trying to look for the next wave, which, by the way, sounds, well, that's really easy. It's not because you're looking for one that you can actually get on, which in, in my instance is not very many. Um, but the uh, the tranquility that you get and the sense of calmness, I'm, you know, you're in a wetsuit, so it helps you to um, to float. Uh, uh, and, you know, it might be October, but, I mean, honestly, it was just calming, beautiful, uh, if you get up on the board, it feels amazing. Uh, so what do I love about being outdoors? I just think what what it does to to, to me mentally, how it, it, it makes me come alive. I know that if I've been um, you know, working from home and just clicking from one Zoom call to, to another, um, I get to the end of the day and just feel dreadful. Go for a run in the middle of the day, even for 20 minutes, uh, and and it, it will just be so much better. So I'm off to a meeting in London this, this afternoon. I'm cycling there, um, and and I'll cycle back, and 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 it and and it will be wonderful. So uh, I just think being outdoors, you know, in whichever way works for you, the more you can try and do it as part of your everyday life, uh, then the better you are, and the better that you will be. I was going to say you. you... You are, and we'll get into the reasons why, you're a very busy person and especially at the, at the moment, but do you manage to work your health and fitness around your working lifestyle and family lifestyle quite well? Depends who you ask. You ask me or you ask my wife and my kids. <laughs> um, I try to, you know, I try to, uh, as a family, we try and be active and um, you know, my youngest daughter's doing gymnastics. She's 10, the elder one who's, She's nine. I keep saying she's 10. She's nine. The elder one's 12. She's doing hockey, playing quite a lot of hockey. Um, 
And yeah, we're, you know, as I say, learning to surf, um, learning to ski, there's all sorts of stuff that we're trying to, to do together as a family, whether it's, it's, it's ride a bike, um, do junior park run on a, on a Saturday morning. I mean, that's the most amazing park run. It's just the most incredible thing. Turn up on a Saturday morning, uh, free of charge, nine o'clock, your local park, run with a community of people, run or walk with a community of people, whether it's the juniors, it's 2K or it's seniors, 5K. And and generally, actually, uh, which is what I like about um, about being outside and exercise, it's all about the the, uh, the coffee and the cake. Um, so, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm cycling with some of my mates at a weekend, it will be how little cycle can we do um, uh, to, 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 to feel that we've earned the coffee and the cake um, and just have a chat and we'll probably be chatting and having catching up on what's got, gone on for longer than we will cycling. But that's all part of um, all part of it. So I try to, you know, it is difficult to exercise. So that's why the cycling bit, cycling to work or from work is is an, is uh, is something that I've, I've started to incorporate into my everyday life. I used to motorbike into to, to London and, and now I cycle. For people that might not know who you are and what you do, uh, there will be an introduction at the beginning of the podcast, but to put it in your words, what's your connection to the London Marathon and what role do you play in that event? So I'm the event director of London Marathon events and we put on about 14 different mass participation sports events, the most famous of which is the London Marathon. Uh, And, um, you know, there is a team of about 120 people uh, who put on the events and do an absolutely incredible, incredible job. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to be doing a job where we are inspiring activity in all ages, all demographics, all abilities, all disabilities, um, just in society in general. And we're trying to encourage more people to get active in whichever way works for them because of the benefits that there are not only to our physical health, but our mental health. And to, to you know, we just, the, the, the London Marathon, the TCS London Marathon uh, was on, it was, it was uh, 2nd of October. It's now moving back to our normal April dates so of the 23rd of April. And we've amazingly just had 410,000 people apply wow. uh, for next year's uh, event, which is which is quite incredible. And it, it is the most incredible day of so many people's lives where, where you are running, running, walking on this incredible sea of positivity where people genuinely want you to be successful and to be part of the team that puts that on. I mean, it's it's just the most wonderful feeling uh that that you're trying to help people uh you're trying to help society get to better place show that we can do things together provide amazing experiences and uh yeah it's it's uh i'm lucky enough to do a job that brings smile to my face and doesn't feel like a job because the outcome of what we're doing whether it's the london marathon whether it's ride london uh whether it's it's the Westminster Mile, whether it's Swim Serpentine, these are various different outdoor events, uh, whether we're helping put on the Black Unity Bike Ride, there are so many different elements of what we do which just create these incredibly positive 
life-affirming moments when people take part in them. I think anyone that's run in the event, that's been a part of the event, that supported anyone that knows anyone that's run will know how inspiring the day is. And it's interesting hearing you say, you know, you've been to every one since 1981, since it started. Where do you position yourself? Where do you like to be? I'm sure it's a very busy day for for yourself, but is there anywhere that you like? I want to be at that point at that time to see something in particular. So firstly, it should be the least busy day of my year um, because everything is done. If 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 uh, uh, I should have the space that if something needs to be done, which is will invariably be something that hasn't gone right, um, and that is very rare. Uh, but so it should be the least busy day. So what am I actually doing? Um, going around, saying hello to people, just checking in. How are they? And um, maybe doing the odd interview, but generally having a really good time. And what do I love doing is going to the start at uh, at Greenwich and Greenwich Park, being there for the sunrise in the morning. And you're overlooking the red start and the famous shot that the BBC often have of runners going down sort of Greenwich Park Avenue. You go to the end of that avenue and you, you can see the Cutty Sark, you can see Canary Wharf, uh, you can see about 20 miles of the course. Wow. And the sun is 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 rising uh, and you're seeing London in its full glory. And that is the most magical start to what is going to be a magical day. So that's that's the start of my day. I'm at the start, I'll be at the finish, I'll I'll go and see various people. I'll have to do some speeches. It will be a long day. So it's probably started at somewhere between 4.30, around about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and finishes probably about 10.30 that night. Um, so it's, it's a long day, but it's a, such a positive day. And uh, yeah, as long as it's all gone well and the, the team have done the amazing job that they always have, um, then then it's it's wonderful. And it, it, how, what's the difference Obviously, in the last event, it's it was moved to October. But, you know the context of the world that we were in. What's the now the turnaround to then do it in back to the original date, back to back to April? Does that present different challenges? Is it quite uh, you know running two events in a closer time period than you would usually? Yeah, it presents different challenges, but it is something that we've known about for a long time. So, and and we we thought about it originally back in twenty. 20. So when the London Marathon in 2020 got moved from April to October, and then we thought, well, the next one is going to be April 22, we were already planning what that would be. So in essence, the, the you know, talking about the first part of this podcast about preparation, we'd have long enough to prepare for this. Um, that doesn't mean that we've done everything right. Um, some things happen and you go, wow, that was unexpected. But we have had a lot of time to think about it. So people have just got to know that they're in the marathon. So it's been the shortest turnaround in in in, in our history in terms of the ballot shutting those 410,000 people entering. They're, they're finding out basically just over two weeks later that they've got in. Uh, so uh, they're finding out in October. Well, actually, they would normally find out in October. So... The preparation has been huge, but what we've also been planning is much more that, you know, when we were looking at the 21 event, 
we were planning the 23 event with the midpoint being the 22 event. So you weren't saying 22 and we're going to start all over again. You were going to go 23 and your midpoint of your project is is 22. So again, it's approaching it in a slightly different manner. So most of the changes that we made between between the events were made in the year. There will be less changes that are made to 22. Obviously, some changes are uh, forced upon us because of weather, because of the different um, time of the 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 year the event is on. But some of them are positive. The you know there's a lot more daylight. So uh, you know sun rising over Greenwich Park on in in October. I believe the time was about two minutes past seven uh, in April. It will be much more about 5.45 or 5.35. I haven't looked it up again. I need to uh, reacquaint myself with what that is. But, uh, uh, yeah, so it just uh, it, it is slightly different. London Marathon has become it's one of the world majors. It's an incredibly inspiring event, like we said. But it started in 1981, and it started with Chris Brasher, who is your father, who you mentioned your parents being very active, you know, in your childhood and they were active individuals as well. Where did the conception of the London Marathon come about and and talk about your father and his connection to Sir Roger Bannister as well? Yeah, look, so it was, it was my father and John Disley. So they were, uh, they both co-founded the event uh, as, as a pair they were pretty uh, inseparable. They they got on um, from their athletic career. My father won Olympic gold medal in in Melbourne in 1956. He was a steeplechaser, but he was only actually in the final of the third fastest Britain in the final. Uh, he wasn't meant to to even come close to winning it. And John Disley, his good friend, uh, had been bronze medal in 1950, bronze medalist in 1952. He had helped my father even qualify for the Olympics by pacing him about nine months beforehand. Uh, but on that day, my father had had brilliant preparation. He had, you know, one of the top coaches, a guy called Frank Stamfel, uh, who himself, if your listeners look him up, Frank Stamfel, an incredible Austrian coach who got torpedoed in the war and and lived to tell the tale. Um but uh, so an incredible coach, he'd really prepared. And, and on that day, he, he he ran a PB by seven seconds, a personal wow. best by seven seconds to get the Olympic gold medal. And, and uh, you know, he was there with John Disley. But how did, going back to the question on um, the London Marathon, as as in a lot of great things, it's it started in a pub, um, started from a pub conversation over a few beers. Uh, and that pub was the Dysart Arms. And it was 1978 and various members of his running club, Ranla Harriers, had just come back from running 26.2 miles in New York. And they were waxing eloquently. I'm not sure how eloquently it was, but anyway, a few few, few points down. They were, they were definitely uh, probably more eloquent than they normally were. And uh, uh, about this amazing experience and telling my father that he had to go to New York and he had to experience this amazing feeling and and the community coming together and and my father who loved the outdoors he he um helped bring orienteering to this country he was a mountaineer um he'd uh he just spent all of his time outdoors and 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 in the mountains he just loved loved that the thought of running 26.2 miles through um the capital you know the gun crime capital city then of, of of the world which new york was filled him with horror but anyway he went 
eventually. I think, you know, a few more beers later, he decided he was going to go. And he then wrote an article in The Observer. So he went in 1979 and basically talked about that he, he felt like he'd been on Saul on the road to Damascus. He'd had an epiphany and that he had really seen the world coming together in New York where a million people were cheering on the everyday athletes, um, everyday people on this, what he called a pointless journey of bodily frailty and I think mental anguish, something like that, um, cheering them on and willing them to that finish line in Central Park. And he had won Olympic gold medal. He'd been at Gordon Richards when he'd won the derby. He'd been at Wembley for when Jeff Hurst had scored the winning goal in, in the World Cup. But he said he'd never heard such a roar of that crowd. And he asked at the end of that article, uh, he knew that London had the course, but did it have the heart and the soul to welcome the world? And I think uh, uh, over the last 42 years, London has without a doubt proved that it has the heart and the soul to welcome the world. And I think so many people taking part, over a million people have taken part and over one billion pounds has been raised for good causes uh, since that since that first event. So I think London has answered that question. Uh, and it is the most incredible life-affirming experience where people are coming together. And and where did it start? started in a pub. Um, so there you go. That is um, that is absolutely amazing. And the fact that it's contributed to raising over a billion pounds for charities and good causes is it, it, it is incredible in itself. What do you think is the biggest thing that's changed since that first one in 1981 to what it is now? And obviously the obvious answer is scale, but there might be something that you have an insight to that would be interesting to hear. Oh, it's totally who takes part in it. Um, so, you know, in 1981, it was basically, it was 6,300 people finished it of less of which less than 300 were women. And those 6,000 men were pretty all stick thin, skinny, wearing very, very short shorts uh, that you'd probably get arrested for wearing these days. Um, so they were, they, that it, it, it was a very, you, you know, a, a particular type of person took part. Whereas now it really is a sea of everyday humanity. Um, and there's still more that we need to do on the diversity and inclusion piece to make it even more representative and inclusive for everybody. But it, it really has changed enormously. Um, it's about 42% of the finishers, 43% of the finishers are women. Uh, the average time that people are doing it in has slowed down enormously. Um, and, yeah, it, it it really is just much more representative of of Great Britain and uh and and the world taking part in this incredible experience when did it start to turn from people applying and well i say applying people entering in to do it to then becoming okay there's a lot of people that are now wanting to do it and it becomes a ballot becomes like a different sort of entrance process as such well it, it pretty well has changed from from 
you know, it, it's sort of been on an evolution from from the word go. I think one of the, you know, very early on, there were so many people applying for it that they got in Zetas, the pool com- the pools company, to um, that's probably going to date an awful. Some of your listeners are going to no, no idea who Zetas <laughs> or what the pools are. Um, a bit like the National Lottery, but the National Lottery 40 years ago, and you used to bet on, on football scores. Sounds bizarre, but anyway, um, they got them in to help organise um, who got in and, and effectively the ballot process. So it used to be a very manual process, and it used to be done by the running clubs, Randall Harriers, Tim's Hare and Hounds, um, Blackheath, Orion, some of the original clubs that my father, father used to run against. Um, were were involved in in helping to process it. Uh, effectively, it's now done at the the, the press of a button. Um, and it, you know, we we used to accept say that we would limit the ballot to one hundred twenty five thousand people, but we changed that in about twenty fifteen because uh, on the predictions that I was running by twenty sixteen the whole ballot would have opened at midnight and shut by about 7.30 in the morning. So that if people on night shifts, people for religious reasons, so many different reasons, we just would not have been able to enter it. So it was, you know, the window is now six days. It's seven days now um, is is the window to enter. So, uh, you know, the process has changed as technology has changed and, uh, it's still quite a complicated process uh, in terms of, you know, whether it's ballot runners, charity runners, international runners, good for age runners, the elites, the championships. There are so many different categories which which often have different uh, closing dates. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's popularity, I would say, has really shot up enormously from, from 2015. And, and I think it, it is just that uniqueness whereby you are – getting people to cheer for you, um, you know, put your name on your chest or your T-shirt and you get them, to, they're, they're cheering your name. They want you to be successful. And, and in life, we don't get that feeling. We don't get to be Andy Murray on the centre court at Wimbledon. We don't get to be Harry Kane um, at, at Wembley. Uh, we don't generally get many people shouting our name in a positive manner. Um, but yet on that day, you will have tens of thousands of people shouting your name to the point where you'll almost think you want to change your name, thinking you <laughs> wish you put, put a different name on your on, on your vest. But it's just it it's difficult to describe until you've done it. But when you've done it, that's why people want to come back because you, you will go through a raft of emotions. It's hard. I'm not saying it isn't hard, but you will help somebody on that journey. And you will get helped by someone on that journey. And, you know, you see so many people in tears on that finish line, the, the, the journey that they've been on, the reason that they're doing it, whether they're doing it for their health, their fitness, whether they're doing it to remember a loved one, whether they're doing it to raise money for charity, whatever reason they're doing it for. They've had plenty of time to think about it on that run. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, for anyone listening, if you haven't done it, it's, you know, go try and do it for a charity in 2023 or, or think about it in, entering in 2024 because you won't regret it. It really will be uh, an experience and a positive one that you will not forget. can absolutely vouch for that. The the hardest, but some of the, the best 23.2 miles that, that you will experience. And I, I think w- watching the event 
um, the, the most recent event, I think one of my favorite photos from it was the, I believe it was a lady that finished, she was the last one to come in and she had people clapping her and it was a fantastic photo. I'm not sure what time it was, but I think that was just, it was amazing. We were seeing the, the people finishing in you know, just over two hours and then seeing that that person finishing, but receiving an amazing amount of support and applause from other runners and, and the organizers was amazing. Yeah, look, and that 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 came from from a bad place in terms of of how we as organizers were not giving the people at the back of the event the experience that they they deserved. And 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 you know, they're on their feet for the longest. They're the ones who it's probably hardest for. So a huge amount of work has has gone into that through the team and there still is. We you know, we have a group called Tail Walkers and the people doing it, helping those runners are really passionate about it. I probably still get more emails about that than anything else from people going, look, I'd like to be part of that experience to help someone else. Or if you try and do it this way, it can be a a better experience. So I'm not saying we've got it close to right, but it is so much better than it used to be. And it it is just as important whether you're Eddie Kipchoge or Eilish McColgan, hopefully in 2023, or whoever it might be, whether you're that person or whether you're the first person or whether you're the last person, um, it really can be a positive, life-changing experience. And that's what we want to make it for every single person taking part, which is hard, but that's what we want to do. That's amazing. And you have people taking their experience to new levels with amazing costumes outfits different ways of people you've got people juggling footballs the entire time you must have seen so many different costumes and ways of doing it over the years but do you have something that stands out i mean every year i'm just surprised by the inventiveness and the craziness of the british population i mean you know whether it's doing a marathon with um uh, a fridge on your back or um someone doing i think it was this year it could have been last year with ski boots on i mean you're going like 26.2 miles with ski boots on i think someone ran sub three hours with full wellington boots on i mean it's just it's it's just it's quite quite (laughs) incomprehensible to some of it so so uh you know the rhino costumes i look at them every year and i mean if you pick up one of those rhino costumes and, you know, they're, whether they're eight or 10 or 12 rhinos, I'm not sure. But, I mean, I just, the people under those costumes, they say, you know, rhino Bob or rhino Susan or whatever. But it's just, you know, 26.2 miles is a long way. Carrying all those extra kilos and, and um, uh, doing it is, is is incredible. So, look, I mean, if, if one, I always think the rhinos are incredible, but there have been so many other different ones over over the years. Um, that, that it really is genuinely hard. But every year I just go, oh, my God, that is, in you know, British, typically sort of British behaviour. It doesn't happen in the other, you know, I've talked about Abbott World Marathon Majors, that's New York, Chicago, Boston, Berlin, Tokyo. This is a British thing, this fancy dress. And, uh, you know, we, we love it and uh, we love it as part of the event. It just brings even further colour um, uh, to, to the day. 
Absolutely. It's what makes it so unique. And that's some people's experiences. You've then got the flip side of these incredible runners that are pushing two hours officially. What, what's your dream for London? Is it possible that someone will run sub two at the TCS London Marathon? It's definitely possible. Without a doubt, it's possible. I mean, Elliot has shown it's possible. Uh, Eli Kipchoge in Vienna, we were part of the organization team for the INEOS 159 Challenge. Um, yes, he had 41 pacemakers, but that was because, you know, the hardest thing in reality is probably getting the pacemakers that can go as far as possible with him to help him on that uh, on that, that incredible journey so he's not just doing it on his own. You need perfect weather conditions, um, but can it happen? Yes, I believe it can. Uh, as I say, once, you know, you mentioned earlier, my father had, you know, was the pacemaker, Sir, Sir Roger Bannister, in the, in, the, in, the, in the first four-minute mile, or the first sub-four-minute mile, should I say. And that has been said to be physiologically impossible for nine years. The greatest athletes in the world, some of the greatest athletes in the world, had tried to beat that time. And they were, they were it was said to be physiologically impossible. Um, Sir Roger did it at Ifty Road. A week later, John Landy did it in Australia. Once one person had done it, um, what was deemed to be possible um, suddenly changed. And I think you're seeing that with women's marathon running at the moment. The, you know, Paula's world record had stood for fifth, had stood since 2003. And uh, I think only two women have now run quicker, but one of those was recently in Chicago. Um and Bridget Koskai also in Chicago. So, um, you know, I think we, in 2023, I think we're going to get an incredible field in London. Uh, so, yes, I, I think that the barriers are always there to be broken, whether it's, you know, through better nutrition, whether it's through better footwear, whether it's through better pacing. There are all sorts of different things. It's never one thing that, that, that makes the most amazing performance. But, yes, I believe it, could, it can be done. I believe it can be done in London. I think the more obvious place it would be done in Berlin. It does have a slightly faster course, but uh, we'd, I'd love it to be in London. I mean, Paula's record yeah. uh, stood since 2003. That was London when she ran 2.15. So it is a fast course. You just need the right conditions. So I have a few few more questions and, and then we'll let you go. But really interested to know, see, you, you've mentioned how unique London Marathon is and how amazing it is compared to the other ones in the world. But if, if I had to push you and say, oh, what what London, uh, what marathon around the world would you just love to work on for one event or get an insight into which which marathon would it be or event? <clears throat> oh, well, uh, so look, each one of the Abbott World Marathon majors is, is incredibly different. So, um, you know, New York is the biggest. Berlin's the fastest. Tokyo is just culturally quite unique how Japan and Japanese people seem to love the philosophy behind the marathon. Chicago I love because it's the start and the finish are right right in the center of Chicago at the same place. You walk out your hotel room pretty well and you're at the start and the finish. So um, Boston I love because the history of that event is 126, 126 races have been and it's the craziness if you get on a bus and you bus 26 miles 26.2 miles out 
and then you're basically running a straight line, 26.2 miles. I mean, there's a left and a right-hand turn, and that's basically about it, and that's what you do. Um, I mean, they're, they're all unique. And I think in terms of if there was one event that I would love to work on, it would be Glastonbury. I think, um, you know, that they build a city uh, in a remote rural location, and then they hold the most incredible uh just just the most incredible experience for people and i've I've been once and and you see just all the stuff that you see is just so inventive and you know you it, you you are forever surprised so i think the creativity they have so glastonbury would be the one event that i would love to yeah to work on i think it would just be and to see it from start to finish yeah, during it etc so so um yeah, yeah, it's amazing the scale of, like you said, it's basically a city they build. And uh, yeah, that's, I, I like I like that answer. What do you think, twofold question, what do you think is the hardest part about organising this event and what is the best part for you about organising this event? <clears throat> oh, what's the hardest part? I think that the hardest part is is actually the continual small changes. So, and and you have to have a vision for the future and take people on that journey. Internally, they hopefully understand the journey. Externally, people might not. And, and it's not getting uh, sidetracked by noise of because everyone has an opinion doesn't mean their opinion is right doesn't mean their opinion is wrong but bottom line is um in the end it's my job that's what i'm employed to do um so i think you you know you have to be clear, clear what that vision is and i think you know in terms of 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 the london marathon if you're being critical of it and you know it's incredibly difficult to be critical but if you are um you know my father and john disley never asked london if they wanted the london marathon to happen they did ask sir horace cutler who was the chair of the gla and i think it's you know london obviously does want it to happen because it comes out in force but if we can really be truly truly representative of this great city um which is the most amazing cultural experience the most amazing uh you know different community groups really coming together the schools the um the participants if you could really go on that journey from greenwich to westminster and see the whole of london on that journey and that whole of london genuinely coming together and if we can build that and we can do that over the next 10 years how incredible will that be? And that's part of the journey. You know, we had Rainbow Row this this year, LGBTQ plus community getting behind the event and creating this amazing spirit. And so, so yeah, I think the hardest part is, in a way, making sure that you don't listen to the to, to the noise. Um, so that was the hardest part. What was the other part? Was that the easiest part? The was, was, part. It, was the question the easiest part? The best part. I, I can't remember. The best part. I, I look, I think it's just 
the, the, the be, being at the event itself and you know that finish line that emotion um and and you know the the the, the stories of the, the people um there was a participant this year called Anusha Azuri who had been locked up in a jail in Iran uh and he had been tortured beaten up he had t- tried to take his life because he was worried about his own family and he said that the thing that he wanted to do that he's kept focus on was being able to run the london marathon when he was free wow and to hear him talk you know i went up had the honor to speak to him before the event it's the morning of the event just shake his hand and say look so glad that you're here thank you for sharing that story and to hear him say that in his moments of darkness that that was his light and to be able to to have an event that shines that light and that meant so much to him is just it it, it, it is an incredible feeling Wow. So to have the honor to, 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 to do that is, you know, it's stories like that, that, that are uh, so heartfelt that, 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 that change lives. And that is the best bit of, of, of what is um, a, you know, just a joy to be, to be part of. Well, wow, that, that's an incredible story. And as you said, the event, that the experience changes, makes, creates so many lives. So a, a, a massive thank you for being part of the event that that provides that to so many people. And just, just to finish on our, I gave you a piece of advice at the beginning. Now I'll ask you for a piece of advice, an inspiration to someone else that will be coming on the, the podcast. I think it follows on from Anusha Zura, which is, Stay positive, look to the good, look to the light, and that's where you will go. And that is how that episode of the Outside and Active podcast finished with Hugh. Thank you to Hugh for coming on. And I mean, that last piece of advice was one of the many standouts in that conversation. It really was emotional, and you could see Hugh getting emotional while saying it as well a really touching story and on the on the flip side of that another one of the gems of the conversation was about how the London Marathon actually came to be it's a marathon and an event that we know now with 44,000 people that run it and hundreds of thousands that try and enter it around the globe but it started from an idea in a pub as many great ideas do and uh, with that thank you to you for listening and thank you to Hugh for coming on this podcast and sharing an amazing story that he and his family have been involved with for a very long time don't forget to check out our two amazing sponsors of this episode where you can get discounts for both of the brands that's e-glove for your winter cold e-glove necessities and that's eglove.co.uk. Use the code ONDA10 at checkout. And then you can also head to lightupu.com 
Uh, for all of the, again, something to make you safe during the winter. It's so, so important for you and your family. When it's dark and cold and you want to get outside and still be safe and be lit up. And yeah, head to Light Up You, check out their products and you get you can get up to 25% off when you use the code LUU2522 at checkout. We've got two more episodes of this podcast left just in this season. If you want to check out the back catalogue, you can do so by heading to outsideandactive.com forward slash podcast. Loads of amazing guests on there and check out all of the other great stuff on the website as well. But until we're back next week for another episode, enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>